Lima, Delta, Echo. Lima, Delta, Echo. This is in between stations radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA. Good evening in the late, no, the early morning hours. <laughs> Got my cup of coffee, my one cup of coffee that I that pulls me through this entire early morning. Quite good. Um, coffee's wonderful, and um, not too much, and just enough is what you need, and it's good for you if you do that. Um, like I said, taking anything to its extreme can not be good for you, even the most pleasant and good things. Yeah, you know, I, I got to thinking about this. I had a, an amazing dream the other night of a person that I'm close to that's a good friend of mine. It was a little mystical because there were, uh, well, I don't know what that means. I don't want to use, that's a loaded word, right? <laughs> Especially if you're a rational scientist or someone that, oh no, let's not get off in the mystical, you know. Oh no, let's not get off in all those science, e those equations you have on a piece of paper. I used to have a friend that would go on and on with calculus equations. He was my roommate. His name was Dave, too. <laughs> and uh, he was a math major. And God, these... My, my grandfather was, a, uh, was an engineer, and he, he would do calculus. He actually used a slide rule before calculus. He built highways and uh, was a brilliant man. And uh, he, would try to <laughs> he would try to explain to me on how to do trigonometry and calculus. And he would do that for fun. He would sit down and do these, you know, calculus equations can be quite lengthy. And, and he did all this stuff on paper and, and with a slide rule. I don't even know if anybody knows how to use a slide rule anymore. Um, I seen one the other day in an antique store and I pulled it out. Uh, and just profound memories of my, of my grandfather who lived in Alamosa, Colorado. That's where the Hartleys are from, at least since the late 19th century. Before that, they all come from a little mountain town in North Carolina. Uh, in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. My family lived there for almost 10 generations before North Carolina was a state, and it's one of the original 13 colonies. There were Hartleys that were mountain people. And, um, so, yeah, part of my dad's family comes from there. Uh, part is native. Um, <laughs> I know everybody makes that claim, right? But, but yeah, my great-grandma was bona fide Native American person. Several tribes, as I've mentioned before. <laughs> uh, sorry, I don't know if that's funny or not. It was funny to me just because, you know, nobody wanted... It. She grew up in a time when being native, especially half-breed <laughs> or something like that, wasn't... Uh, you didn't talk about it. So, um, I, it, it, was, it was cause for a lot of harsh experiences. Anyway, that's, hey, let's, let's move on. So... I had this, um, oh, I have a sip of coffee, for clarity, of course. They're taking all the Starbucks out of uh, the Soviet Union, I heard. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> but I also had a friend that's, uh, where, does she, where does she live in the Soviet Union? They have, a, they have their own kind of special coffee there. I know I have, an, I have another friend in Israel, they have this 
actually in the Middle East they have this amazing coffee they make. There's a special way they make it and it's really powerful and it tastes good. But it's made with this little kettle that you, uh, that you put on a stove or over a flame. And it's real thick, almost like you can almost eat it. I'm trying to remember what the Jewish name is. I, anyway, I love I love the coffee. It has a, a name. It, uh, and in my novel that I've almost finished, the uh, the hero, the the heroine, the the main character, uh, Sarah, um, is Jewish. And so I've had to go back and uh, you know, and I've had some really close friends, a, a girlfriend, a couple of them that were Jewish, and uh, I really have a deep love for. Jewish people and traditions, and um, and so uh, I had to go back and relearn and remember a lot of things because Sarah uh, um, speaks Yiddish and things like that, and so I had and she's you know uh, she's half Jewish, so I had to go back and reflect on all that, and um, and then I also have friends that are Palestinian, so <laughs> wow, there's you know those are really contrasting ideals. Um, yeah, coffee. So, um, you know, Americans aren't the only ones with good coffees, but I'm sure it's kind of a bummer when Starbucks gets taken out. Hey, that's enough to end the war right there, take Starbucks away, which is a coffee I, I really like. But again, it's not something I, I'm too extreme on, at least not at this stage in my life. But it's, it can be enjoyable if you find the right kind and, 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 and make the right kind. If you're from the Middle East or from certain parts of Russia, there's these traditions. I think coffee is originally, everybody thinks it's from South America, where it is growing a lot because of the, the, the climate. But coffee is from uh, Africa. Wonderful Africa. Africa is a huge continent. I don't know why you think it's like this one, one, it's one nation. I think it's 52. Um, uh, so Africa is huge and it has an immense variety of people. And it has an immense variety of plants. Uh, that the Congo and the Amazon have the most intense variety of plants in anywhere in the world, and especially the Amazon because horticulture was practiced by the indigenous people for thousands of years. You had this, uh, and, and in the and in the Congo too, but in the Amazon especially because you have these huge, fantastic civilizations that were probably the world's most brilliant horticulturists and a lot of our superfoods we have now are a result of thousands of years of horticulture and of course corn uh, which we can thank for the Americas is another food that is a result of amazing horticulture uh, in the Americas but when you get in the Amazon their variety is intense so many of our medicines too come from the Amazon basin so um, we should you know, when a Columbus, all the horrible things he did, um, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of Columbus, sorry. I read a lot of his journals. He was a man of the times. He did a lot of horrid things. Uh, and so the genocides of unparalleled magnitude were started by this man. But he brought this fantastic amount of food into the... Uh, let me get, I'm getting a dry mouth here. Into the old world, as they call it. And a lot of our foods we have are, are from a result from that. One thing, and I've talked about this before, is tobacco. And, you know, I think people always talk about Montezuma's <laughs> You know, the, the king of uh, <clears throat> um, Tanish Talon, this, this perhaps the most beautiful and fascinating city in the world. A city of lights, actually, that's set in the middle of this fantastic, beautiful lake. It's now Mexico City. 
and Montezuma's <laughs> revenge, you know, for all the horrid things that the Spanish did, including smallpox, uh, profuse di diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> you get when you travel in these places and eat foods you're not supposed to. You can get that anywhere, really, if you're not careful. I think, though, tobacco is the curse that Columbus took to the, to the you know, in parenthesis, the old world. But here's the problem is tobacco is an incredible uh, healing plant. But if you don't know how to use it, you know, it's known for its polarities of life and death. So witches and people and sorcerers that mean to do you harm, especially in the Amazon basin, use tobacco. But they also use it for the exact opposite, for prayer, for blessings, and for healing. And uh, there's a certain way you smoke and use it. And if you don't know how to use it, uh, one of those things you don't do is smoking it profusely all the time and keeping the air in your lungs. A lot of tribes do not keep the tobacco smoke in their lungs. In fact, it doesn't go in your lungs, especially the tribes here in the Southwest. Anyway, I don't want to, I, I've had, I, I don't know if I've had a show about tobacco. Maybe I will, because it's a plant I dearly love, one I know well, especially the wild tobacco that grows profusely here in the Flagstaff area, if you know where to find it. So, uh, do I smoke tobacco? No, only in ceremonies and in, in healing situations and in prayer, prayerful situations. And I have had a lot of uh, learning from, uh, from tribes on how to use that plant. So, um, and that's the problem when people, when it was taken to Europe, and it can be like, like any other thing uh, that uh, works with your serotonin and dopamine levels, it can be extremely addicting because of the nicotine in it. Um, this is where the harm comes. If you, you know, if you just smoke constantly, tobacco can destroy you. And it's been modified genetically now, and so I don't... I, uh, and I tried smoking a whole pack of cigarettes once, just for the hell of it. <laughs> um, it was an interesting experience. I'll talk about that some other time. I didn't, I didn't like it, and I did. And I learned some things about domesticated tobacco versus wild tobacco that hasn't been touched by, by um, corporations and stuff. And so well, we'll go into that another time. But uh, yeah, it kills a lot of people every year, and that's because they don't know how to use it. And, uh, as the case is with other things like the coca plant you make it into cocaine and um you know extract just one uh, uh one of the alkaloids only like co cocaine you take that out of coca and i've talked about this in previous episodes and you just take and you uh, intensify it a thousand times so you just use that one getting you know high getting a an amazing feel and it, it's highly addicting Cocoa plants, not. There's so many plants like that from the Amazon, that, and, and, and tobacco too grows there, a different kind, a much more powerful kind grows there than uh, here in the Southwest uh, because it's been uh, used in horticulture and they've refined the plant for thousands of years. So, tobacco there is very strong. Uh, and it's a tobacco I use and mix with the wild stuff here. Um, and you have to know how to use these things. But, you know, Americans are famous for isolating the pleasure component of the plant and intensifying it a thousand times, like opium. Opium's a good one, because that's a very sacred plant used in the Middle East, Afghanistan, for thousands of years. And there's very strict ceremonial uh, conditions put when using that plant. Uh, uh, pot's another one. Hash, refined pot. These were all used in sacred ceremonies before as Islam and after Islam came. 
And uh, we went in there again, and we take these things and bring them back. And we use them in a way that, you know, hey, let's have some, oh, it's so great, let's party. And we never address the sacred manner in which the plant should be used. And so it becomes this horrible addiction. Opium is awful. Heroin. See, there you go. You refine the component of the plant, and then it becomes intensely pleasurable, but also intensely addiction, you know, addicting. Heroin is one of the most addicting substances on the face of the earth, refined uh, opium. Come on, folks. Let's learn about the plant. Let's learn about the indigenous native values that's taken thousands of years of trial and error to, to know how to use these plants. Plants are living beings. Yes. Yes, folks, plants are living beings. And my experiences with ayahuasca and yahe and yopo uh, and other plants like corn, uh, which is a center of, of many ceremonies here in the southwest and in Mexico and in South America, corn is ex an exceptionally sacred being. And think of all the people it feeds. It isn't just about food. <laughs> it's about realizing this incredible planet we live on is full of all these immense life life forms. And without plants, we would not be alive. And so we owe some of our genetics, some of our uh, evolution, some of our, some of, you know, and there's another loaded word, of course, you know, um, evolution. But we owe so much of our life and our body and our genetics to plants. So um, they're, they're kind of uh, parents of ours. If you go back, if you want to follow the fossil and evolutionary line, it's up to you. Um, there's, you know, anyway, I've got way off here. I'm already into 15 minutes on here. Sipping my coffee, going off on tangents. All right, like I said, occasionally trains come through at night and during the day. Flagstaff is infamous for its trains, at for me. They're kind of like clockwork, and especially now during, uh, if you want to use that term post-COVID, COVID's still going on, so it's not post, but I'm just saying post the isolation and uh, all the panic. Um, now we have this lack of things. And so the, the shipping between trucks, semis, and trains is, I've never seen it. I mean, I've seen trains now two and three miles long with engines in the front, engines in the middle. You know, these engines have 5,000 horsepower. And when you see 10 of them, that's an amazing amount of horsepower. Uh, and when you see like eight engines in the front and five in the middle and then three or four at the back and they're all running and then this this you know and you have three miles of freight and these things constantly run through flagstaff all day and all night not to mention the interstates where all these semi trucks run and then all the, the ships that come into ports in california and different places that are bringing goods and so um yeah another sip of coffee if you can't sleep don't drink coffee <laughs> Well, no, I already talked about it, huh? If you, if you drink it all the time, it actually puts you to sleep. So, um, yeah. So, you know, you can take it. And, of course, the, like I said, it has a five-hour high. So you can take it before you go to bed. And a lot of old, you know, old farmers and ranchers and, and some Hopis I know do this because they get up, like, really early. Four o'clock is the hour to get up in the morning for a Hopi farmer. And uh, the, so you drink this, this really thick, powerful coffee before you go to bed. And you're up in five hours because that's when the caffeine peaks. Boom, you're awake and you're ready to go. <laughs> so it puts you to sleep and it wakes you up. Okay. I, you know, I, I talked about I had a dream, uh, kind of profound, uh, I, I guess, uh, about this person I'm close to. Uh, we're, 
we've been good friends for a long time. Uh, we sort of have this romance at the at the baseline of our re- relationship, but we don't uh, act on it. Uh, it's because we have family, friends, and we're committed to other people, but we're really, really close. And it seems to be connected to previous, if you want to lose, lives or experiences, because there's so much content. On the day we met, I remember <laughs> she turned around to me and she said, hey, you know me, don't you? And I looked at her, and I remember I looked at her eyes, and it was profound. And I had to say, and I'd never met her before, yeah, I do know you. She said, you know, let's sit down and talk a little bit. And we did, and it was just this very profound experience. That sometimes, for me, means that there's a lot more content that you're not aware of because we had so many likes and everything we talked about. I mean, I just, the first thing I want to do is just wrap my arms around her and give her a big kiss, you know, and, and I, I think she kind of felt that, but we, we couldn't do it. I mean, we were so much alike and, and had so, and over the years, so many things that we have in common that are, uh, we should be brother and sister. <laughs> or have been raised in the same family, but we weren't. Um, so I had I just had a, I had a, I had a dream about her, but in that dream was uh, two people that are deceased: my mother and then my 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 old father-in-law, old father-in-law meeting from the former marriage. He was a good friend. He was there. So the dream denoted a connection to death, as well as life. And um, I, I think one of the things I wanted to, to talk about tonight is um. And this is kind of a hard thing to verbalize. What do you do when you're in that environment? When you're in the in the spiritual dynamic? When you're having a supposed vision or a powerful dream? Or when you're in the hallucinogenic ceremonial realms where you see other beings? Where you're communicating with uh, alternate realities? Um, what What is that like? And I, I think I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to try to briefly discuss at least my experience there. And, of course, you know, typically there's a real lack of words there. And I'm not going to be specific, and I'm going to mention generalities. Again, you know, I've talked about this thing, materialism versus non-materialism. Because we know the, especially the Newtonian world, is based on, you know, and I, in this, you know, this is why science works. I mean, of course, there's got to, has to be exactness here when you're building a bridge across a huge abyss that's 3,000 feet deep, you want that bridge, <laughs> or something like that. You want that bridge to work when you drive across it. And, you know, there's, there's got, there, and, and you, when you go to the moon, or when you launch satellites up in space, or when you have medications, or do brain surgery, or heart surgery, you want to have a Zachness there, and as little air as possible. And I think science is good at that. And, um, but it goes too far. And, and I think there's other realms that uh, science at least currently, you know, that's why I like to throw quantum in, and, uh, like the chaos theory. There's things that that are really screwy, that don't always make sense, you know, that uh, uh, a particle can be in two places at once. You know, how's that possible? There's one, and, and then when you, every time you turn and look at it, the observation and the reality changes with that, with that photon, with that, with that particle that's moving at these high rates of speed and so and so the quantum world is born and i always talk i think i say there's eight different i think there's actually 13 different types of uh, ways of looking at the quantum dynamic and one of the most fascinating is the uh uh multi-universes uh multi uh realities and uh um oh i'm forgetting everett hugh hugh everett uh his son is a favorite musician of mine 
uh, in the eels, E as he's called. His dad is profoundly famous and he went through hell because he went against the Copenhagen, supposedly the, the major baseline of the quantum world after Einstein was gone, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Neil Bohr's pretty much owned quantum physics. And uh, Hugh Everett found huge gaps. Uh, and if you want to look into Schroeder's cat, that's interesting because uh, Schroeder, part of Schroeder's whole uh, thing with the, with the cat, you know, that it's alive and dead at the same time, which he showed is, is, is ridiculous, which is kind of what the Copenhagen view of quantum did was look at the, you know, how things can be there and not be there and all happening at the same time. And then, you know, uh, Schroeder's like, oh, that's ridiculous. And so Hugh Everett came along with the multi-verse and the multi-realities and said, look, there's actually two cats. You know, if you want to look this up, uh, one's alive and one's dead, and they live in alternate realities. And in, sa- in fact, there may be thousands of different cats all doing different things. <laughs> he really, I mean, is brilliant. Today he's seen as, he's up there with Einstein, but his life was hell because the, the larger scientific world rejected, outright rejected his views. He actually met with Neil Bohr's when he was young and it was a complete sad rejection and uh, now our science fiction and our books and our whole way of looking at the universe we can thank Hugh Everett uh, who only lived to be 51 years old pretty sad life the guy had and his son uh, everyone's uh, passed away in that family uh, one by suicide one by cancer and the other um, just lived a short life Hugh Everett um, E uh, his son is the only guy left and so it's it's, it's interesting uh, because he's not a mathematician like his father, he's a musician, and it's, to listen to his experiences about what it was like to grow up with this, this, this man that was one of the most amazing geniuses in the world, and totally rejected until after he died, and now, now he's just seen as this incredible genius. So that's one of the 13 ways, uh, the, the, the many universes, the many, the alternate realities. So um, it's something that all of us, you know, we, it's kind of like, normal if you can call it that in our world today um like i said you know this is live i can't backtrack and uh, re-edit stuff so um you know sometimes mistakes are made so if you want to really look into things you know look them up on the internet wikipedia uh, go through and check out things and forgive me if i've made mistakes Um, you sit down here on when it's live on a radio (laughs) on the air uh, and, and you go ahead and, and make speculations and that's one of the chances that I take so what's it like to be in uh, an alternate reality and like I said it, uh, generally you know the esoteric uh, it's, which is a whole field of study now you can get a PhD in it that deals with the way we look at history it deals with worldviews and how they awfully or grossly in, incorrect and then the uh, experience that you have in spirituality and in this other realm and how can you quantify that how can you talk about that which is a you know which is an enigma for any anthropologist that studies tribes um how do you write about one of these amazing experiences that you that you have that's out of the realms of the, of the material? You can't show people on a piece of paper, uh, you can't show them the physical evidence. Not that there's not physical evidence there, it's just, it's just you're dealing with a reality that's, you know, and this is the thing with the, uh, with the many, uh, ver- with the multiverse and many worlds, is you can't really 
you, you don't have, it's no real way to, to, to outright prove it. Which the materialist delights in, oh, well, you can't prove that. Where's the evidence? And it's like, well, there's other realms that don't deal with what you think is physical evidence. And, you know, there's a lot of things we just don't understand. They're undetectable. You need, uh, you need machines and you need uh, mathematical equations to show that they're there. You know, the quantum's wonderful. I mean, you don't go around seeing protons and neutrons floating around, right? <laughs> And when you put your hand on the on the table, it doesn't go through the spaces because you know there's a lot of space there too with, with all these you know atoms that are moving high frequencies of speed. You know, you look at the quantum world; it's 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 pretty wild. Can you hear my old cuckoo clock? Yeah, my buddy. I have two clocks. I have a cuckoo clock that ticks from Germany, the Black Forest cuckoo clock from 1935 <laughs> and I have the 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 cat clock you know with the eyes that go back and forth click 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 and the tail that wags the weird cat clock hey those are my two clocks I use all right well we're taking a break here I got my old Victrola I have two Victrolas I have a brand new one that is really cool it plays all speeds of records and I have a very old one from 1917 something like that with a big horn you know the size of a tuba hey baby i got a big tuba here well the tuba horn is hooked into the wind-up victrola i'm going to play on my new victrola versus the old victrola just because i don't want to wind it up i have a problem with the spring in the mechanism because i've taken it out in the desert so much and i set it in the sand and these Red Rock Canyons, and then I wind it up and let the coyotes listen to some old-time music. Because, you know, it's not, there's no batteries or anything. It's just a spring-loaded thing that you wind up. That's what they used to do. It's kind of a bummer to carry it out of the back of my truck, though. My dog, Gunner, doesn't mind. He loves that. Uh, you know, he's kind of suspicious of that <laughs> when I wind up that Victrola. I'm not sure. You ever seen the dog on there? You know, in the old Victrolas, I got the dog listening to the... the the, the tuba, the gramophone, you know, it's got his ear there. Okay. Let's see. I just set a 1930 78 speed Chanel. They're made of Chanel, partly, which is an insect wing, I guess, uh, and some other materials. So they, they when they printed these old 78 speed records, I'm looking at one now. Um, this one I have in particular was printed... December of 1930, and um, it's, it's, it's Brunswick Collector Series, manufactured by the Brunswick Radio Corporation. Right, and this is the B-side, and it's the instrumental Foxtrot, <laughs> meaning I guess no one's going to sing on this one. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to turn over the other side because I think somebody sings on the other side. Actually, <laughs> this is the B side. So we're back to the instrumental foxtrot. Wait a minute. I'm going to change this record because I, I just played a really nice one for myself and I want to play this for you guys. Hold on. Actually, I'm just going to walk you guys over here. I got this uh, 1945 carrier with it and it's numbered each sleeve is numbered with a record in it 
my former wife gave this to me for a present. She got it for one dollar. It's probably worth two or three hundred dollars. Got it at some used store before they didn't know what they had. So it has 12, 12 sleeves, and each sleeve has a really rare recording. I say they're rare because, you know, um, when you, um, there goes my neighbor off to work at two o'clock in the morning. Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> so I had this nice, this nice case that was made, handmade, to put these um, 78 speed Chanel records in. And they're all either from early 20s all the way to post-World War II. I think the last 78 speed record was made in 1959, something like that. I don't have any of that new. Mine are all pretty darn old. This one has 12. 12 sleeves with 12 different records in it. All are mint condition, mostly. And I'm going to put this one back in the... Can you hear that? The number 9 sleeve. It's got a nice leather... I don't want to break these records. Let's see. They're really um, fragile. You drop one, it breaks like glass. And then, you know, it may be irreplaceable. You can get these things on eBay or the record store. Sometimes it costs you 30 bucks. I got an original one by Caruso. That cost me 45 bucks. But I haven't been able to find anything to replace it. It's an original Caruso recording. Uh, and th those early records only have one side you can play. The other side has nothing on it. So when they print it, the machine printed it, it printed the grooves on one side and you got to hear Caruso, who was quite popular at the time. You know what? Let's do, I was gonna have, cause there's one more. Oh, here we go. Harry James. I think he was a real famous trumpet player. He was sex crazed though. No. <laughs> he used to go out at night after he plays trumpet and find these women and buy him chocolates and stuff and do naughty things to him with them. No, I'm just making that up. I don't I don't even know about Harry James. I don't I know he's a great trumpet player. There's a Twilight Zone episode maybe about him where he's Gabriel the Angel that plays the trumpet or something like that. And then somebody plays this drunk Oh, he's one of my favorite actors. He used to be in The Odd Couple. Can't think of his name. Jack? I can't think of his last name. But he plays this drunk, famous trumpet player that can't get past his al alcoholism. And this Angel Gabriel, the trumpet player, which is supposed to be Harry James, I don't know, appears to him and says, Hey, buddy, quit drinking. Let's slap your beer bottom and let's have you play that trumpet the right way without being an alcoholic. Something like that. Okay, so I'm going to set this down on the... I think I was saying that the reason I don't use my Victrola that much, well, one, it's having problems winding up now, is uh, I have to use a new needle almost every play. So you have a loud needle, you have a medium needle, and you have, have a soft needle. And there goes my friend. I guess he didn't go to work. He's going back home. Maybe him and his wife are in a fight. Sometimes they get in such loud fights at night, and you can guess what the fights are probably over. <laughs> You can hear them five houses down the street. And none of us really care for that because it, you know, wakes us up in the middle of the night. But I'm, I'm awake right now, so I don't, I don't care. Anyway, he just, I guess he didn't go to work. He's going back home. Hopefully it's not for an argument and he just forgot his lunch. Um, so, you have a, a loud needle, a medium needle, and a soft needle. 
and these are hollow, and it picks up the sound when it, when it goes in the grooves of the record, and it wears down quite easily. And so you have to have a lot of these needles. I go through quite a few when I'm using my old Victrola, uh, and it's, it's kind of a hassle. So, and they're very sharp. Oh yeah, I had to go get a tetanus shot because I, I used some really rusty needles that came with the original Victrola years ago. I decided to use one of these old, and I have a feeling they were like World War II, and it, the, the arm flipped up and the needle hit me in the, it hit me in the hand. And it hurt, it was like a bite, I, you know, I kind of like jumped back and I had to go get a, a tetanus shot, because I hadn't had one in 20 years. And you can fight all about vaccines you want. I'm not going to go into that. But I, I was a medic in the army, and I think it's pretty good, to, pretty important to have a tetanus vaccination currently. Tetanus is kind. Of, I'm getting this record. Tetanus is kind of rare, but if you get it, you're a dead man. Uh, Lockjaw and stuff. Anyway, uh, okay. So here it is. It's, this is actually a Columbia. It's not quite as old. I think it's 1941. I don't want to walk without you. This is this, uh, let's see, Foxtrot theme from Sweater Girl. Vocal by Helen Forrest. And she sings with Harry James in his orchestra. Old Harry James. And this is a CBS Columbia recording. 36478 is the number. I'm trying to see if it has the exact date on here. This is a newer one. This is like during World War II. Okay, let's turn it on. Let's see. Alright, it's on. I'm going to take the needle and put it over here and make sure it's switched on 78 speed, which is a much faster speed than the old 33 vinyls that run slower. And then the 45, the little small disc that had one song, is in the middle between my dog snoring. Of course, she's smart. She's asleep. One of my dogs. Gunner, uh, he doesn't snore most of the time. But my little red healer. Let's see if I can get this. Can you snore, little honey? Can you snore? Oh, you don't like that, do you? She's, my little red healer is highly suspicious of uh, my microphone that I record with here in our studio. Um, Murky is in bed asleep. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Okay. So let's drop this down. Somebody just came in, in the next door. I guess they're having a late night, early morning as well. Okay, let's drop this down and see how it sounds. You ready? One, two, three. There it goes. Needle's going down.
within my lonely room Cause I don't want to walk without you Baby Walk without my arm about you Baby Okay, there you go. In Between Stations Original. <laughs> oh, let's switch that off. That was made before my parents even met. Uh, yeah, a long time ago. So, but I enjoy actually, I'm an uh, auteur's movies, films. I watch a lot of uh, foreign films. Uh, I like to watch the films if I can, the actual films. Um, but I'm a huge fan of World War II um, movies, American style, and I watch a lot of them, especially film noir, which is like huge with me. And then I like the French versions earlier um, in French uh, New Wave when they started to uh, look at American cinema, and then the French actually, in some ways, outshined American cinema, made all these amazing. Um, some postmodern movies. Okay, so it's fun to sit down and watch those. Oh, there's my cuckoo clock. Um, it's fun to sit down and watch if you can get original prints and watch the film, but if not, get a nice digital TV and watch it that way. Um, yeah. Okay, let's move on with our show tonight. Let me have another sip of less than hot coffee. Same cup. But a little bit less amount of coffee because I have to go to sleep here in a little while. You know, I'm going to take a little bit of a different direction tonight. Had something planned. You know, I get off in that in the in the weird sometimes, and that's cool. But every episode doesn't have to be. <laughs> I will mention one thing. Um, we're having a, an amazing rainy season here in the Southwest. Um, we had. A, we didn't have much of a rainy season anywhere for quite a while. You know, we've had this extensive drought that's been going on 20 years now, which is nothing unusual. The, the tribes that have been here thousands of years know all about this drought. That's why their their indigenous foods are centered around little bit of just li little bits of water and being able to go for long times without rain and being in the hot sun. Uh, after thousands of years in one place, you learn this, and they have huge droughts here. We've 
yet in modern times to have these thousand-year droughts that are known to happen here. So if we, are indeed, if we indeed have one of those, we're in big trouble just because of our sheer numbers and our demand on natural resources, especially water. But this is not about water. Anyway, thunderstorms have this amazing quality, I think, to change time, the le the le especially a severe electrical storm. And because I'm a runner and because I'm and I run in wilderness and I hike in wilderness and I spend a lot of time, I've been in a lot of thunderstorms and some really bad ones and in the middle of nowhere and quite frightening ones. And the lightning strike is famous for making a person into a medicine person or a shaman or a visionary in a lot of tribes. Uh, many of the tribes all the way from the tip of South America up to Alaska talk about these lightning strikes. And I've experienced a couple of very close strikes. One that blinded me for about, mm, about a minute at least. Bright pink flash in the middle of a forest in the downpour rain. And it, it just, I'm surprised it didn't shatter my eardrums because it was so loud and my ears were ringing. And I was terrified because I couldn't see in this downpour and then another flash of lightning went off. The last thing I remember when I lost my sight was this just this bright, bright pink flash. It was pink. And, uh, and it just, I just laid on the ground. I mean, actually kneeled on the ground, waiting gradually for my vision to come back and get out of there because these lightning strikes kept going. I was on a mountain in these big uh, Ponderosa pines trying to make it back home. And it's interesting how that moment I shifted from a uh, into kind of an alternate reality. There were other things there I didn't quite comprehend. I was kind of in a, in a you know, in a state of shock. One, because I, I was blind and I just and burned in my uh, mind was this, this pink lightning flash. I mean, it was right there. I, I don't know how I didn't get hit. And maybe I did get, there was like the static electricity on me because I remember my hair stood up and um, but there were other things going on that were really strange and bizarre. And when I look back and look at the secondary things going on in spite of my, you know, my outright shock and, 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 and pain, uh, pain uh, of the, you know, the, the loudness of the boom in my ears, there were other things going on there. Uh, and in, in that, 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 that alternate reality I talk about all, uh, in my shows a lot. And, I, and, I, and I, I think you wonder if electricity, and that's what we're made of, that's how we think, that's what our neuron transmitters in our brain, that's how they communicate with our muscles and how our thoughts move. And um, let's see, strange stuff. So I think there's a power to, uh, for things like that, especially weather phenomenon that, and, and, and uh, volcanic explosions and uh, celestial events of tremendous qualities can really rattle us and really set us in a different dynamic and we forget sometimes that we live on this planet that has absolute incredible catastrophes both small and large and that's one of the that's one of the ways they say life came about was based on that maybe that's the way the creator worked to form life and to bring it up into being on our planet so we're we're born of cataclysms and so i think what that does is it kind of shatters our modern reality 
our clock set reality. You know, clocks are pretty modern things. And um, at least the ones that you wear in your watch in this 9 to 5 reality and how you can't be late and how you're paid for a certain amount of hours you do and quality time and you better be there right now and you better leave here at this time and you better do this and we have these very regimented lives and you know the ancient people especially tribal people didn't have that they kept track of time in a much different way and so yeah maybe it takes a, you know in the in the book uh, Ulysses uh, you know it's a real famous novel from the early 20th century um, and it takes this this amazingly complex and beautiful book uh, it takes this huge crack of lightning it takes place in one day this huge crack of lightning comes at the middle of the book and it changes everything and you wonder you know if it takes something like this to realize that this is not this is not substantial this is not baseline reality this is how we see it as a culture and a people and a country but underneath that is this natural world that's ancient and uh, all these other things going on that sometimes we we don't we don't think much about we're so busy and if we have free time watching TV or going to Hawaii or spending time with other people and not really looking at the natural world and I spend a lot of my life in the natural world a lot of my time and most of that solo by myself and I've been scared out of my damn mind before by things that I haven't even begun to talk about in these in these episodes a little bit there is so much out there that we don't understand especially as modern human beings and I like to emphasize that and I like to emphasize things that kind of wake us up and shatter our world as I talked about making us more aware that we live in a multiplicity of realities a multiplicity of cultures a multiplicity of worldviews a multiplicity of all kinds of things and to say it's one thing and narrow it down to one that might be good for you but not for the other people and there's many successful ways to do something and that's what culture is all about culture is this amazing expression of how to do something and be successful at it and and you know some cultures are very ancient unlike our 250 year old one here in the United States we're just moving along now we're just starting to get the bigger and longer picture of things unfortunately with a lot more people not thousands but millions so when you make a mistake it can cause a lot of huge problems because there's so many of us you know I, I try to be on, on 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 the air an hour or a little bit less than that because I run into all kinds of other problems and programming and on the shortwave and right now we're having problems with uh, solar flares and propagation uh, one nice thing is we're in the middle of a rainy season so we get a lot of clouds and we get a lot of these beautiful skips where I can pick up things on the shortwave frequency that I don't typically get to pick up except during the winter time when there's storms or here in the summer and uh, so it's nice and so I wanted I, I have this window that w we have to be in I and Murky Murky does the programming and Murky has a way to disguise her voice someday we're gonna hear the <laughs> she's a very shy person and she's come up with a strategy that you listen to her in a certain way and she she's designed it like that and so here's I think this is one of the selections I mentioned this earlier in the episode about Caruso I don't know if this is the Zach song you played but this is made let's look here this is a uh, Victrola record uh, and um, this is uh, 
Edison was involved with this, the, the Victor Talking Machine Company. And this was made, let's see when the recording was. August 11th, 1908 was when this was recorded. I don't know when it was minted as a record, probably not long after that. I broke the first part of the record, I dropped it by accident. It was a real heartbreaker because this is a very expensive record. So I'm going to play it for you. This is the great Crusoe. You should look him up on Wikipedia. Amazing guy, and he was hugely popular. So this is, um, let's turn it on. Of course, I'm going to put this on my new Victrola because um, I don't have the kind of soft needle I need to play it on my, um, my, there goes my neighbor again. This time he's leaving to go to work, I think. Hopefully him and his wife are getting along or his girlfriend or whatever she is. Um, okay, so here we go. I gotta advance it a little bit because part of the, the first part of the first few grooves in the record are broken. The, this uh, doesn't only has a song on one side, so the other side is completely blank. Very heavy. These records are extremely heavy and fragile. Here goes the train. I remember I'm doing a broadcast. I have to have the window open because it's horribly humid and I don't have a cooler, just a fan. Okay, so I got the record going around here on my new Victrola player because I don't have a soft play needle for this and I would like one when I play it because it's kind of a rare recording, one of my rarest that I have. <laughs> and then I broke it, part of it. Um, let's see, uh, so I'm going to put it on my new Victrola player, which I just got, not too expensive, and just enough that I can play things that I can live on the air. So they go out and you can hear them as I play them. So this is live and this is on my little player, a beautiful little suitcase record player, which some of the older wind-up ones are like that. And here we go with... Oh. 
Well, there's certainly uh, disembodied spirits, at least some people feel like, on, on the shortwave frequency, and these often are heard uh, in very strange and odd ways, depending on the meter band you're on and the propagation effect. But there's something out there that's not being broadcasted by normal radio stations. And these could be a, a big, a big problem. I mean, are, are they're very strange, and and and, and I, I think too this can be compared to um, to to real ghosts. You know, ghosts in the house and and, and, and uh, interdimensional monsters. Um, but there's there's things out there, especially uh, in the atmosphere in the ionosphere, that's moving around, and they could be hundreds of years old. Uh, or, or, or at least, you know, that's, maybe that's going too far because at least when radio started out, so yeah, I guess close to 100 years old, and um, the ghost, and, and what, what, if there's disembodied spirits there, what are they trying to communicate to us, and what does that mean? And I think that's, you know, it's a big problem, and uh, yeah. Um, and so we're going to, uh, and so what do you, I mean, what do you, how do you feel about ghosts? Do you, have, you, do you, have you ever had an experience with a ghost um, or with a disembodied spirit or someone possessed by, by something uh, that's not, you know, completely sane? You ever had that, that, that one? This is In Between Stations Radio signing off the air on 3731 kHz in the 80-meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America.